The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pit Podcast. Get ready for contact. Everybody, this is your boy Dex with the I Am Pits podcast, and I am finally back. Been gone a little while. You have to excuse me and excuse the voice. The change in temperature here in Kentucky, going from hot to cold, cold to hot every other day, starting to get my voice in my throat a little bit, but I will push through for you all. And like I said, I've been gone a little while. Had a whole lot going on, took a little vacation. Stepped away from work for a little bit. Then after I was coming back from vacation, I had something come up. It's kind of, it's a really good thing that came up for me. It's a wonderful opportunity. Not going to say much about it right now because I don't want to ruin it. But maybe in another episode, I'll fill y'all in on that. But man, I always tell people when you speaking on a microphone and talking to yourself for an hour plus is not easy. It is a skill that has to constantly be sharpened. And if you stop sharpening or stop using that skill, it is perishable. So stick with me, it's been almost three weeks. My apologies, but I am back with you all to give you all that content that you're looking forward to and to listen to my wonderful raspy voice and give you all some uh, input on the things going on in the world today. But before we dive into all of that, I need to tell y'all something. I got trauma. Yeah, I got trauma that I'm still dealing with. And it's clearly obvious because I was at home the other night. It was a wonderful day. Just laying in bed. It was like two, three in the morning. And if y'all listen to the show, I've read my book, you know, I don't sleep great. After, you know, my time in Iraq and being on the police department for many years, my sleeping pattern is horrible. I am a very sensitive sleeper. And if I don't take my sleep meds when I need them some nights, I'm definitely going to be up all night. But man, I was laying in bed the other night, y'all. And I heard this little doo-doo. That was our ring doorbell alarm going off at like two in the morning, I believe. Let me tell y'all something. I told y'all I got trauma. Man, that went off. And I was kind of in a state where it was like I was asleep, but I was still awake kind of getting to being asleep, man, I sat up in bed like the undertaker. And the first thing I did was reach for my gun belt because I'm thinking who in the hell is at my door at this hour. And honestly, I had two thoughts of who it was. First thought was it's the protesters. They told me they would find me. They said they were coming for my family and now they're here because who else is going to be at my door at two in the morning? (laughs) so I put on my gun belt just wearing my drawers and then I grab my phone and I start making my way to the front of my house and position myself tactically because I think somebody's getting ready to come into my house and the second thought I was having was if it's not protesters it's got to be thieves but then again why would a thief be here you know if they see the ring doorbell alarm but you just never know man people are still stupid people still do stupid things when they know you got a doorbell camera Man, so I positioned myself tactically in like the 
in the, in the front of my house and in, inside. And what I do is I open up the app on my phone so I can get a live view of what's going on outside to see who it is. And I don't see anybody. So I'm like, man, maybe they've already gone to the back of the house. Maybe they're trying to go somewhere else. You know, maybe they're trying to figure out another way to get in. And I'm sitting there watching and waiting with my underwear and my gun belt on my waist, just waiting for action. I was, ladies and gentlemen, I was ready for war. I was ready to die that night for my family. My wife, if you're listening, this is what I was doing when you were sleeping, protecting you, my children, protecting y'all in my underwear and my gun belt. Y'all are welcome for my mother freaking service. So I'm sitting there waiting and there's nothing on the screen. And the next thing you know, I see this fat little raccoon on my front porch. And he's the one that set off my ring doorbell camera at that hour. I was like, man, hold up, dude. And even worse, you see him literally go up to my door, stand up on them little tiny, little tiny legs. And reach up, and it's almost like he was trying to ring my doorbell and ask me for something. Well, there ain't nothing in here for you, homie, but death. You don't want that, trust me. I was triggered by a raccoon, y'all. I got problems. I know, I know. I got issues, man. I'm, I, trust me, I'm going to counseling. I'm going to therapy. I'm taking my medication, man. But don't come ringing my door. This is a lesson to anybody who thinks it's a good idea to come to my door in the twilight of the wee morning hours and come to my door. Don't do it for your own health and safety and minds. Cause I am not in the right state of mind at that hour. Don't do it to yourself. Don't do it to me. You're going to come over. Give me a call. If that raccoon would have dropped me a line, like a text, like, yo, Dex, you inside. Hey, you got any trash I can have? Hey man, I would have you know, hit him back up. Like I got you, bro. I sat down on the back porch. And this little scumbag, man, this dude, he's been the one messing up my freaking uh, Blackstone grill in the back. All my stuff that's under it, every morning I come out, all my stuff is out. Now I see who it is, you little bastard. I got your number now. If I catch you next time, best believe it's going to be trouble. And speaking of trouble, dear America, we in trouble, Jack. If anyone has been watching and paying attention to the news, which I hate to say it, I hope you have it. But there are some, you know, there's still some things that go on in this world and in this country that need to be on the news and people need to know about. But there's been this one issue I've been following for a little bit, and that is the military recruiting issues that we are currently having right now in America. We are having trouble finding young, healthy men and women. Yes, just men and women who are able to serve and defend our country. And what do we as a country do when we don't have any young men and women who are able or eligible to serve in our military? The military is the main reason why America is where we are currently. The military is what ensures our freedoms and our liberty. But how can we maintain that freedom and liberty if we don't have a strong and healthy military? And currently right now, we do not. And not only that, our military is going to start shrinking and we're losing our most experienced and best soldiers, sailors and Marines and airmen because of COVID. You know, the U.S. government and all its infinite wisdom decided, oh, no, we're going to start kicking these people out. So we're going to start kicking people out. But at the same time, we're not able to get anybody in. Sounds like the police department. 
So, you know, I've been following this for quite some time because this is a very serious thing, people. This is nothing that should be taken lightly. This is scary. This is our national defense at stake. In an article from CNN, it says the U.S. Army is on track to have its worst recruiting year since Vietnam, a shortfall that could have implication for decades. This could potentially be multi-generational in terms of impact. Young recruits today become our young and senior leaders of tomorrow. So if you cannot develop them today, you can have a gap in leadership tomorrow. Colonel Matthew Adaman, director of veterans and military families at the George W. Bush Institute, told CBN. Right now, the Army has only reached about 52% of its recruiting goal for the current fiscal year, which ends later this month. Other military branches are closer to their targets, although attracting and retaining talent is a challenge across the board. Military leaders say many factors contribute to the shortage, the pandemic, the labor market, even competition from the private sector. The biggest problem, however, is a shrinking recruitment pool. Of the age-eligible population, less than a quarter are even qualified to serve. That has to do with criminality, can't necessarily pass the initial intake test, or a mental health condition, things like that, and obesity and physicality. Colonel Admin said, I believe as a culture we need to get a back on track to a society of service. I think we need to look at national service. You don't have to be in uniform to serve. You can be in inner city tutoring, national parks, oral, medical, oral medicine, but how do we get our youngest folks, frankly, off the couch, off the video games, and out serving each other and learning those life skills of a teamwork, discipline, and leadership. So hearing this from people in these higher positions, you know, that's that's a lot to take in. But for me, there are three key things and three main reasons, I believe, why we are currently seeing this going on. And I want to break down three of those things for you all today. So the first one, the first point we need to look at is our current culture. If you look at American culture right now versus American culture Hell, just simply 20 years ago from when I was 19, 20 years old. It is a completely different culture. I don't know what has happened to this country, but we are literally not the same country. And it it, it happened in a span of not that long ago, just 20 years. We've become this selfish, self-centered, lazy, uninspired generations of Americans, man. And I mean, you have to look at the fact that when, what was the last real true war that we in America fought for our freedoms? If you ask me, World War II, because literally we were attacked and, you know, by Japan and we went to go overseas to fight Japan and we went to go and fight against the Nazis in Germany because they were a truly evil force. Now, you could argue, yeah, did we go, you know, we were attacked on 9-11. Hell, I signed up to go fight. But if you look at some of the new things we know about the war on terror for the last 20 years, that didn't have to be a war that we were fighting for 20 years. You know, we had a lot of money going to these, you know, defense, defense industries, uh, people and all that, man. So initially the war on terror started out as we were fighting for our freedom, but it soon transitioned to a political war and a get rich quick war with a lot of these uh big politicians and companies involved. But like I said, the last time we really actually had to fight for our freedom, because let's be honest, 
No one is coming to America's gate to try to take over America. The days of empires invading other empires is kind of over, man. And that's something we don't necessarily have to worry with or deal with here. You know, we have a natural defense border with, you know, our, you know, with the water we have on the east and west coast. Canada ain't messing with us. Mexico definitely ain't got the power to come and try to mess with us. So we don't really have any enemies that we have to worry about coming, trying to take us over and take our freedoms away. You know, that's happening right now digitally in, in the cyber world. But young men and women actually in America actually having to take up arms and go defend against an invading force in America. That's not happening. You know, that that's happening right now in Ukraine. And that's been happening forever with the young men and women in Israel. But this is not Ukraine and this is not Israel. And man, we have become so self-centered as a culture. I often think of JFK's quote, ask not what your country could do for you, but what you could do for your country. That is well, it's still a great quote. It's still a quote I like to live by. But unfortunately, like I said, we've become so self-centered in America. And a lot of this I have to blame on social media and technology, but that's just almost a scapegoat because where are our young men and women getting these ideals and the self-centeredness from? Of course, it's from the parents because the parents let them have these phones. And that's the one thing I hate about social media, man. And somebody was telling me the other day, like, dude, you don't really put up a whole lot of videos of yourself. And, you know, I post pictures of me with my family, but I don't know. There's something cringe to me about setting up a camera, walking around with this giant stick and you see something cool and you set up this camera, yo, and then you go and stand in front of it and pose and take pictures. It's it's very cringy to me. It's very self, you know, self-indulging and look at me, look at me and look at what I'm doing. And it has created this culture in America where it's all about me, 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 me. Give me likes, give me money, subscribe to my, you know, my cash app and, and be sure to follow me on my channel. You're like, you cannot expect someone that has that mentality and mindset to decide, you know what? I'm going to put all this away because and I'm going to go and serve my country because it's not about me. It's about you know, the betterment of my fellow Americans. But that is not the culture we currently have in America. And, and then you got to look at, man, everyone in this country is so freaking lazy. Look at COVID for the last few years that we've had. it. I mean, just think about any of your current recent experiences going out and going out to dinner somewhere or going out to the store. People are not working. There's not a lot of young people that want to work. There's not a lot of young people that want to go and, you know, actually have to earn something, man, because we have an instant gratification culture because of social media. All you got to do is put up a five, you know, 15, 20, 30 second video, maybe a minute video. And then you just start getting all this likes. The thought of service for these young men and women in America is not a thing because they don't get nothing out of service instantly. They got to work hard and they got to, you know, work their way up to whatever they want. But when you get on Instagram or TikTok, you got to do, is, you know, put your little Instagram model pose, turn sideways, freaking walking funny so you can make your ass look bigger. And that way you just get tons and tons and tons of likes and comments and then you get sponsorships and you become famous for being nobody. For just being pretty, you know, or you get famous for just having abs and working out and you're on your phone all day recording videos of you doing normal everyday activities. That doesn't make you special. But what does make somebody special is somebody that's willing to be like, you know what? 
going to put this phone down and I'm going to go serve my country. That's that's what makes somebody special. That is someone who deserves the attention. But for some odd reason, like we've just become so ingrained in this. It's all about me culture. And when it's all about you and nobody else, guess what? The world around you suffers. And we are seeing the effects of that in America currently right now. I mean, the people, the young kids today, they're uninspired. Nobody wants to go serve. And partially with the way politics are and the way all the things we are seeing on the news with our political quote unquote leaders. Honestly, I can't blame some of them because we're seeing all the corruption and all the the you know the things going on sideways in Congress and the arguing fighting between the left and the right. You know, it, this stuff is on Front Street, man. All this stuff kind of used to happen behind the scene. But with technology, we are exposed to a lot more these days and the dysfunction is right before our eyes. But yet, there, you know, the smoke and mirrors of politics and they're the whole don't pay attention to the man behind the mirror, you know, behind the glass. Don't pay attention, ladies and gentlemen. You, what you, you what you're seeing is not what you're really seeing. We're actually in favor for you. We're actually trying to help you out because you voted us in the office. Our young men and women see this stuff every day. Are they paying attention to it? Maybe some are, some not. But for the most part, we see the dysfunction. And when you see that type of dysfunction, what makes a young man or woman want to give up all their likes on social media and Instagram, you know, and go serve their country? And, you know, I say it's we're spoiled here in America. We don't have problems. And because of that, we're not constantly fighting for our freedom in our lives every day. The young men and women in this country don't see the need to go and put it all on the line. I say I'm from a different generation of the kids today. I said, I grew up. It was 9-11. It's what, you know, a swell of patriotism rose throughout this country. And every man and woman I know was like, I'm going into service. I'm going into service because there was a this big, horrible incident that happened before our eyes. And since Pearl Harbor, nobody ever seen anything in my generation, seen anything like that. Now, I remember looking at Pearl Harbor in in school and reading about it. But and it was just like, man, that's horrible. But there was no emotion attached to it because it was so long ago. And now we're what, 20 plus years on the other side of nine 11. There's kids being born that weren't in that. You know, there's kids that are alive that weren't even around for nine 11. So they don't remember it. It is a time forgotten. I might as well be talking to them about Pearl, Pearl Harbor. Cause it was the same way to me, but now we're so far removed from it. People, that young men and women don't feel that need and urge to serve America. And the last thing I want to happen is for us to have to have another 9-11 to kick this generation of young men and women in the pants and force them to get up and go fight. That's what I don't want to happen. I don't ever want another 9-11, but I'll definitely take another 9-12 the day after 9-11 when there was so much unity, man. And there, nothing in this country mattered other than the red, white and blue. It was beautiful, man. And it just, ah, I miss those days, man. I definitely miss them. And so another prong we have to look at and what is affecting this is the fact that everyone in this country, especially our youngins, are fat and overly medicated. So in this uh, military.com report, it says a new study from the Pentagon shows that 77% of young Americans would not qualify for military service without a waiver due to being overweight, using drugs, or having mental and physical health problems. We are so unhealthy as a society. 
everyone is fat. Hell, even me. I done picked up some pounds, but I've been working to kind of reverse that, man. Hell, even when I tried to join the military in 2003, like I had to put in some work because I was the fat guy. So, hell, I remember the day I was about to ship out to go to boot camp. I had ate a large, healthy breakfast at MEPS, and I should not have done it. Because me, like, if you don't meet the weight and height requirements, you got to take the tape test. I had to take the tape test, and I ate too much for breakfast that morning. And, man, I was so bloated, I had to suck it in. I literally made it into Army boot camp by millimeters. I barely made it. I was like one or two millimeters off from like freaking <laughs> not being able to ship out that day because I ate too much, man. And then when I got to boot camp, it was well known. Oh, this is a fat guy. Oh, I remember walking around in boot camp like I think it was like week nine and I started losing weight and I was looking good in the mirror. I remember my drill sergeant looking at me and said, you think you the shit, don't you, Pitts? And I was like, yes, drill sergeant. He was like, put your bitch tits away. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So I was the fat guy. So I can I, you know, I, I understand. But but there's a problem with America, man, where we are so overly medicated. I mean, most of the kids we have today, everybody's got some sort of mental health problem or ADHD or you know, explosive behavior disorder. I talked about this on the podcast a couple weeks ago how they're diagnosing these kids with all these kind of made up conditions. And the real thing that would have solved it was mama or daddy or some sort of strong positive influence of an adult in this kid's life, spreading that kid's cheeks implanting their foot in between them cheeks and telling them to get yourself together, get your act right. This is not how we act. But now we have fallen to the wayside and discipline in this country and because we don't have discipline as an older generation, guess what? The younger generation is not going to have discipline. And because of that, man, we live a sedentary lifestyle and because of technology. Like I said, just go back to COVID. Think about COVID. Nobody was going to the office. Everybody sits at home in front of a computer for hours upon hours. And when you're not on your computer, guess what you're doing? You're in front of your phone hours upon hours. And if you're not doing that, you're sitting in front of the video, uh, in front of the TV, playing video games for hours. That is your life. And you're eat, we're eating junk food, all this processed gunk. And everybody's guess what? Diabetic. You know, everybody's got high blood pressure. Everybody's got bad cholesterol. Everybody's got all these autoimmune diseases, man. That's because we are not taking care of ourselves as a country. And then we sit here and wonder why all of us and our children Everybody's depressed and everybody's got anxiety because we don't live in the real world because we live in these make believe made up digital worlds on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And we live in these make up worlds on freaking what is it, Minecraft and all these other games, games like my kids right now are playing Roblox. I don't know what the heck it is. Don't care. But I make sure that they know, hey, this ain't reality. You live in the real world where things are tangible. You, you are not a digital you know, person. You are a real person. And see, when people live in these fake worlds, man, they can't deal with the stress of real life. And then they go to the doctor and the doctor tells them, you're depressed. Well, no crap, doc. Yes, they're depressed. Now, why? Because they don't get out and get any sunlight and get any vitamin D because they live in this fake world 24-7. Oh, just like the whole freaking metaverse thing with the uh, Facebook the metaverse, like no one has to live in reality. 
And I'm always thinking about these people that just work from home all day. And that's all they do is they live in their house, man. And then when you use reality to come against them, they break down and they have anxiety problems. And that is not how life is supposed to work. And you can't go and be in the military if you're having anxiety issues in a make believe or in, a, in the real world. It doesn't work because when you go join the military and go to combat, it's all reality. There is no digital world or digital escape. And it's real life, man. People get hurt. People die. That's war. That's combat. That's real life. And you know what? We are doing ourselves a disservice letting our kids stay in front of the phones all freaking day, in front of the TV all day. And I'm calling y'all out. I have to call myself out because, yes, I'm guilty as well. I'm busy. I have stuff I'm doing. My wife is busy. She has stuff she's doing. And we're not all, and we're, you know what? We could do better, just like anybody else. So we are conscious about it a lot more than most people. We go out to dinner, no phones. We're at home at the dinner table, no phones. Hey, put your phone down, talk to us, walk with us. You know, I was getting on my son the other day going into a store. He was walking and looking down at his phone. Me and him had just got our haircuts, and I licked the back of my hand and just smacked the back of that head. Just, hey, stop looking at your phone when you're walking. Pay attention to your surroundings and where you're going. Then I had to check myself because a lot of times I'm walking, not paying attention and looking down at my phone. And you know what? How dare me be a hypocrite? Because I'm doing the same thing that he, I am punishing him for. So, yes, I have to do better. We all have to do better. But, man, there's just so much medication being pushed in America right now. And the whole thing we know is that big pharma is big money. Man, the more medication that these people push, the more money they get. And some people call it a conspiracy theory. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. But I don't I don't believe that these people want to find a cure because there's no money to be made in a cure. But there's definitely money to be made in managing these symptoms and these diseases and all these things that they're calling. So as long as they can get people on medication and keep them on the medication, they're going to keep making more money. And there's no need for anyone to ever get off these medications in their mind. And they people believe that they need these medications to survive. You don't. Man. You have everything you need in nature and in, in reality to help you deal with a lot of this stuff. Hell, a lot of depression could be cured by just getting up and going for a walk. Get a, a healthy routine. Get off the caffeine. Get outside. Talk to people. Don't just talk to people online, man. You need to live in reality and you'll be pleasantly surprised that reality is not as bad and as scary as some of us that make it out to be. And that's the problem right now with our young people. They are so afraid of reality. You know, there's just and there's just so many drugs, man. And when people can't get, these young people can't get the medical drugs they need. Guess what they're going to turn to? They're going to turn to the streets to get the stuff that they want. Heroin, pills, fentanyl, which is why we're having an epidemic of fentanyl overdoses in America. Man, we are a culture that is slowly dying from within. And there's not going to be anyone left here to carry on the fight if we current carry on this current trajectory, man. It's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse and worse. We have so many problems that need to be addressed, but no one is addressing them right now. You know, I was listening to the uh, Black Rifle podcast the other day and Lieutenant Colonel Scheller was on there and he was talking about how another reason why recruiting is hurting because of all the medications is because apparently there's this nationwide database of medications and when, anytime somebody gets put on it, 
they put the key, this young person's name into this database and shows that they are on this medication. Now, personally, I don't think that sounds legal. I don't think my name should go in, in any database because I'm on a certain medication. Yo, but apparently when a young kid decides that they want to try to join the military, the military has access to this database of medications and it pulls up the medications that this young person has been on. And if it checks that box where, oh, you've been on this medication, you're disqualified from service. So that's another reason from what I heard in which recruiting is also down because of this giant database. Now, to me, that sounds like a conspiracy. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But, um, you know, he has no reason to lie about it. That's for sure. But and I could definitely see America doing something like that, keeping a large database of people's names and medications. But, you know, there used to be waivers for all this stuff and there are still waivers to get into the military. But one, you know, certain things are just automatically disqualifying, man. Like my son won't be able to join the military service because he has a peanut allergy. And what peanut allergies are huge these days. Peanut allergies used to be very, very, very rare. But we started guarding so much against peanut allergies and kids never got exposed to the chemical and peanuts. And now every kid I know has a freaking peanut allergy. So it's one of those things where we have, once again, weakened our society by overprotecting our children. And so the last thing we need to look at as to why our military recruiting efforts are failing is the lack of leadership in America. So I have an article here from Politico. It says lawmakers press Pentagon for answers as military recruiting crisis deepens. Lawmakers from both parties are putting increasing pressure on the Pentagon to fix the recruitment crisis that threatens to leave the military well short of its goals to bring new troops abroad this year. In what is widely considered the worst recruiting environment since the end of the Vietnam War, while leaders from the different military branches have all acknowledged the problem, they also have been unable to move the needle in a positive direction as the desire of young Americans to join the military goes over the edge. So, Reading this and looking into this is very ironic how our quote unquote leaders in America want answers as to why young people are not willing to serve others. When was the last time these elected leaders and politicians were actually serving the American people? How dare them in their glass houses sit up there and throw rocks saying that too many people don't want to serve when you all are self-serving in your positions in the cabinet, in the executive office. And the, the irony of this, just hearing politicians say that enough people aren't willing to serve. And they want answers. Well, to our elected officials in this country, if you want answers, let me suggest something. Look inward. Look within. Look in the mirror. You all are the main reason I feel like most people don't want to join the service, man. You're just, you're, they are dysfunctional and greedy. We have people in Congress, like I said, that have become their own special class. They are getting rich off of insider trading and they keep taking all of our tax dollars and sending our money overseas to other people that don't deserve our money and for causes that we don't support. No, our lack of recruiting and our young Americans wanting to serve in the military, it literally mimics our elected officials, man. They're weak. They're anti-American. They're not loyal. There's no patriotism. They're selfish. They treat our current service members like crap. You know, they 
for example, like I said earlier, they're kicking out people for refusing to take the jab, putting them out after many years of service. Why are we kicking out our most experienced people over COVID? I don't know. But for some odd reason, the Biden administration the other week said that you no know, COVID was over. Everything's over, but they still have not gone back and made things right with the service members that they kicked out. No, then our politicians call America racist. Every time you turn on the news, you have our politicians front street for the last few years saying how evil and racist America is. Then you turn around and say, hey, won't you come serve your country? Well, you just spent the last few years telling me not even last few years, but you go back and they dig up all of our history and say, look how evil and horrible America is. This racist country. Why would anybody young want to go and serve a horrible, evil, racist country? When you make comparisons to Hitler and the Nazis, America, it, what, what do you think is going to happen when kids find out who Hitler and the Nazis were? And that's the comparison you're giving America as a country. Do you think they're going to want to go sign up and fight for this country? No. You have made the people that serve this country scapegoats in every way possible, all for your political gain. And guess what? Because of that, guess what? Now we don't we have people not wanting to serve. You all have created this crisis, man. You all are the reason why recruiting is down and then have the nerve to want to demand answers for why recruiting is down. Well, looking and blaming at everyone else except yourselves, you know, and then they push division and they encourage blurring the lines between men and women. And they co-sign on all this gender madness, you know, transgenderism. It's a mental illness. That it literally you could not get into the military if you were a transgender person years ago because it's defined as a medical condition, mental condition. But now it's welcomed. It's it's insane. It's like, no, it's OK. That's just who you are. No, it's not. If you go to the doctor and say, doc, man, I don't feel like my arm belongs to me. I want you to chop it off. Your doctor should say, hey, we're not going to do that. Let's get you some mental help. But we don't do that. Now we encourage you. Yeah, sure. Let me just take your arm off and make you feel better. That's not how this thing works. And we have people in Congress and leaders, American leaders. Well, I keep like I, I use the word term leaders, but let me keep saying elected officials who's who are co-signing on this stuff. This is all part of the mental health issue we're having with America. We have our elected officials pushing this crap and then get upset when we don't have enough people to join the military, enough young people. What do you expect? You are working against yourselves and working against your own country for your own betterment. You don't get to have this problem that you help create and then complain about it. You know, then people see the homeless veterans on the side of the road. And then we have Hollywood making these movies about veterans and having PTSD and how it makes you crazy. Oh, then that's the, you know, the vision you're giving for young people of life after the military. And the, tr the point of the matter is that's not true. Yes, there are a lot of homeless veterans out there but there's just a lot of homeless people period it ain't just veterans man but young people see this and they think well that's gonna be my future if i join the military and that's not true that is not the case because i'll be honest a lot of these people that you see that are homeless veterans some of them had issues way before they joined the military and let's be honest going to combat probably did not help any of their conditions and just because you're a veteran does not mean you're special and that you don't have to follow the rules just because you're a veteran does not mean that you get a free pass to walk through life because you decide to raise your hand and serve your nation for a certain period of time. 
we are always and forever thankful for your service. But that does not mean that you just get to skip out on the rest of life and get everything handed to you because you're a veteran. No, thank you for your service. Now keep on serving. Keep doing something else. Find purpose outside of the military. And a lot of the homeless veterans we see are the guys that did not find purpose outside of the military. But they find it comfort in a bottle or in a syringe filled with their drug of choice. And that's not what we need right now. I'm a disabled veteran. I get a check from the VA on the first every month. But I am still working because I have to have purpose. My purpose cannot be just sitting and waiting for the first of the month every year. And see, I am out here because I want to be a positive influence for what it means to be a veteran in this country. Yes, I have PTSD, but I deal with my issues and I understand it affects people differently. But we cannot just rest on our laurels and be hey, I served in Iraq 20 years ago. That's bro. That's a small clip in your life. Iraq was three. Well, my military service was three years from me. That's not even a fourth of my life. I spent more time in uniform than I in, as a police officer than I have in Iraq. But Iraq cannot be the center point of my life. It was a time in my life, time that I was proud of, but it is time to move on. I can't just I can't just dwell on Iraq. And eventually one day policing is going to be a part of my past and it's going to be time for me to move on. One day this podcast is going to eventually come to an end and it's going to be time for me to move on. We can't get stuck in the past. And so man, anytime I learn of somebody young that's looking and going to the military, I am extremely impressed and proud Man, I've been working recently at uh, Kentucky Kingdom here in Louisville. Dude, and there, I, to see so many young people working makes me happy and makes me smile because it's so rare these days that you find people that want to work. Man, and it just it puts a smile on my face. And it's like it gives me some hope for the future of America because, you know, we look at these situations and we think the entire country is collapsing, you know, and I'm guilty of it. I, I'm guilty of spreading the fear like. Like even when I opened this uh, podcast up, I said, America, we got trouble. Well, we do. If we continue on this current trajectory, you know, there's not going to be much left. But, man, what I'm seeing versus what I'm hearing are not the same things. I see a lot of young people still eligible to go serve. But I also see a lot of young people I'm looking at like, man, you are hefty. How old are you? <laughs> like, it might be time to hit the gym and put the Cheetos, the, the flaming Hots down, man. And get active. So I'm always encouraging young people to serve in the military. You have some people right now that don't trust the government to say they would never encourage young people to serve. But I'm never going to do that because I believe in service to your country is a good thing. You know, and you get more out of it than you put into it. Honestly, I truly believe that, man. Like, even if you're going to join for a selfish reason, like, hey, I want to better my life. While you're serving, you will learn to better yourself and serve others. It becomes a natural part of the walk in the military where you be learned. It becomes not about you, but you get something in return for not being about you. So, you know, anytime you meet somebody young, encourage them, man, to go step out and try something different. Encourage them to join the military. If that's what they want to do. Yeah. It's not going to be perfect. There's not going to be people in office. You always agree with, but we have to have young men and women step up to serve this nation. We have to, because if we don't, America is going to continue to stay in trouble. And like I said, we're currently in danger now because of the recruiting crisis. And that's because we have become so weak within. Man, we have become too accustomed to comfort and people want all the special and cool titles 
like infantrymen, special operators, Green Berets, Navy SEAL and Rangers so that they can get on their Instagram and put on all their little cool tactical gear and make their little cool videos and get all the likes and get all the girls to like their stuff. But see, the problem is they want these special titles and they want the cool gear, but they don't want to do the real work that comes with that. You know, they don't want the deployments. They don't want their buddies getting killed in front of them. Well, nobody wants that, but I mean, that just comes with the title, man. So if you want these titles, you have to earn them. And it's, it's the internet tough guys that drive me crazy, man. The social media tough guys that guys that do all this stuff and haven't actually done anything with their lives and still feel like they're special. But if you want those titles, you got to go sign up for the military and you got to earn them. And in order for America to remain free and for liberty to reign from coast to coast, we need mentally tough and physically strong men and women to endure the tough, strenuous real world training that will prepare them for their missions in their chosen roles and professions. See, America's enemies will not hold back when it comes to trying to kill us, capture us and torture us. You know, Al Qaeda is not going to take it easy on you. So why should military training be any easier? Your military training should be so tough that when you do go to combat, it's almost like a vacation. I've known people that have served in the Ranger Battalion that tell me the Rangers train so hard, so often, so frequently that when they go on deployment, it's like a day off for them. They get to actually relax a little. Like that's insane, but that is the type of training you need to where when you get into the real, you know, real world situations, you're not stressed. You're not, you know, you're not losing your mind. You're calm because it's like, man, we've done this time and time again. And so that's why I was shocked when a couple of weeks ago I saw this article that talked about Navy SEALs being investigated because their training was being too rough and too hard and harsh on some of their recruits. It's in a uh, article from New Spectrum News One that says Navy launches investigation into SEALs tear gas video. CBS News on Tuesday broadcast video broadcasted a video that showed Navy SEAL candidates being blasted with tear gas in order to sing happy birthday so they could not hold their breath. It was recorded last year on San Clemente Island near San Diego. The network reported the video shows the group of recruits crying out in pain and one man appearing to lose consciousness, which can happen when someone holds their breath while being tear gas. Preparing for tear gas exposure is a standard of part of Navy SEAL training, but regulations say instructors should stand at least six feet away when spraying it to avoid giving burns and for sh should spray the gas for no more than 15 seconds, CBS reported. In the video, the spraying persists for more than a minute. And so this video was actually obtained by a guy named Matthew Cole. If you don't know who Matthew Cole is, I'm just learning about him myself. He is an investigative journalist. He actually just wrote a book out. Code Over Country, The Tragedy and Corruption of SEAL Team 6. So let's needless to say, Mr. Matthew Cole is not necessarily a fan of the military or the Navy SEALs. You know, I... Not sure. I, I don't know a whole lot about the guy, but I listened to him on the Andy Stump podcast, Cleared Hot. And it seems to me like he has a axe to grind with the Navy SEAL command. And, you know, no organization is perfect, people. 
you know, he goes in and uncovers some, some scandals and stuff that have happened, some stuff that has been blown out of proportion by the Navy. And he comes down on a lot of Navy SEALs that get out and, you know, decide to write books and whatnot. So the man is not a fan of the Navy SEALs, needless to say. He's just, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't understand the man's hate for him. In the podcast interview, he says, he's like, America only focuses on the good of the Navy SEALs and never the bad, which is true. But he, one thing I did agree with is that he said that sometimes good people do bad things. That is a very true statement. So, but for him, it just felt like this. He was trying to steal the honor of the Navy SEALs and all the wonderful things they've done by only focusing on the bad things. And yeah, there's a balance to this thing. Of course, you got to look at the good and the bad, but I mean, he just wants all the bad. He wants, it's like he wants the Navy SEALs to be known for the bad things. So that's why I guess when he got a hold of this video and training and he um, put it out to the news and then he took a quote, I guess, from a, uh, he talked to some of the kids and the, the SEAL recruits in the class and they said that they felt that the instructors and the SEALs were abusive and very careless with their health. Ladies and gentlemen, let me preface something first. I have never been nor will I ever be a Navy SEAL. I don't know any much about the SEALs aside from the stories I've read, the news articles, and the books. That's about it. But I do know this. Navy SEALs are tier one operators. They are pretty much Olympic athletes with guns. Like Navy SEALs are some of the best and highly trained soldiers or operators in the freaking world. And they have the hardest training because they do some of the hardest and craziest missions anybody could do. Your training is supposed to be tough. Your training is supposed to be hard. Your training is supposed to push you to the edge of death almost. And there have been times in training where people have died. A young Navy SEAL recruit died a couple months ago because he had pneumonia. And he refused to quit and he kept going. That's the type of person we want and need. I hate that he died during training because, my God, if that was his attitude, this guy was going to do wonderful things for the SEAL community and America. So why? I mean, you know what you're getting into. It's not like this is like 1970s and 1980s when the Navy SEALs were all mystery and all myth and nobody really knew anything about them. We know everything about the Navy SEALs we can know now. It's nothing's a secret. The training's hard. You know it's hard. So why sign up and then get there and then bitch, moan, and complain that your instructors are being too hard on you? The training's not fair. and They don't care about your health. No, they care about your health. They're not going to let you die. That's for sure. But they're not just going to let you waltz in and just, you know, just half-ass your way through training so you can wear the trident. Man, that trident on the chest means something to them. This is, you are not just an ordinary sailor. When you wear that trident, you have went through a gauntlet of hell for months on months in training. The pipeline to become a Navy SEAL is so long that it's not supposed to be easy. And then we have this guy, Matthew Cole, a news journalist who's never probably done anything really hard or tough in his life, complaining about the training of Navy SEALs. Mr. Cole, do you enjoy your freedom? Do you enjoy your ability to be able to write a book and say what you want to say? Well, if you do, that's because of people like the Navy SEALs that help you, that ensure your freedom, and your constitutional rights, man. You, you have a right to your opinion. 
but I feel like you are putting your nose somewhere it doesn't need to be. It's the whole the man in the arena poem from uh, Theodore Roosevelt. You know, everybody, no people spectating in the seats don't really get to put in a vote and say what the people actually fighting in the arena should do. You bought a ticket to spectate. You didn't sign up to be a part of the battle. So I really don't want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, you do your investigative journal and you uncover some stuff. Hey, great. You know, we need somebody that's going to hold people accountable. And if there's a cover up, go ahead and uncover it, man. But implementing your point of view into military training in which you have never taken a part of or even attempted to do. I really don't want to hear what he has to say about it. It's just like uh, with me, with the police civilian review board we have. I can't stand it. Imagine me going to the doctor's office in my local town and saying, hey, I want to sit on the board here. Why? What qualifications do you have? None. I just, you know, I've watched a couple episodes of Grey's Anatomy. Used to watch Dookie Howser when I was growing up. And I just want to sit on the board of physicians. But you're not a physician. I know that. But you should let me in. And that's what we do with police work. You know, we take civilians who have never been trained and let them look at police encounters and interactions and say what the officer should have done. How can you say what an officer should have done when you've never been trained as an officer? And it's the same for this guy. How can you say the training is too hard or too rough when you haven't done anything hard or tough your entire life? It seems like get your nose out of the Navy SEALs training. It's not it's not for you to know, man. People. Yes, it's tragic. People die. But if people were dying on a regular basis all the time, I would say, yeah, you probably got something going there. But so many people have gone, made it through this training. So many people have quit. The amount of people that have died from Navy SEAL training, they're there, but it's nowhere near what it could be because the Navy takes exceptional care of these recruits. Man, they don't want the publicity of somebody dying in training. You know, that that hurts their product. So man, for this guy to interject himself, it's just... It's just completely out of whack, man. I mean, we need our operators to be hard chargers. We need these guys to be tough. I mean, hell, when I went through Army boot camp in 2003, it was hard. Some people, it was easy. Me, I know I was an athlete, but man, I was fat and I'm not a runner. I struggled all the way through. And I'm glad that I did because when I got to combat in Iraq, I was more than ready. And I still had a lot to learn. Training has to be tough, man. We can't make training easier and softer and then expect expect this certain package when we deploy these people to the field in the police academy or the military. Man, there are no timeouts in combat. There is no pause button to take a break. There's no commercials. I mean, when people get hit and die, it's real. There ain't no coming back. You don't get to tell the enemy I need a timeout. You don't get to tell the enemy you're fighting too hard against me. Hey, give me a second to get myself together. That's not real world. So why are we complaining about the training that people are getting? Like I said, I can see if a lot of people were dying on a regular basis, but that's not the case. Training is supposed to be tough to train you to get you ready for real, real world missions. Training is supposed to be hard. And no matter how hard training is, I believe that there is one person in this world that can make it through any training and not give up. And that's Tom Brady. Why? Because Tom Brady, because Tom Brady is pretty much a Navy SEAL. He's pretty much a Green Beret. He's pretty much a soldier, a Ranger. Because he said so himself that during the football season, quote unquote, 
I almost look at the football season like you're going away on a deployment in the military. And it's like, man, here I here I go again. And there's and so of course after Tom Brady makes this horrible comparison, of course he goes and issues an apology. You know, he, the man's gonna apologize. And personally, I'm not mad at him. I mean, I understand what he's trying to say, but let's be honest, you know, playing in the NFL, making millions, staying in the finest of accommodations, seeing your family anytime you want to, not having to worry about getting killed by a sniper or walking down the street wondering if every step you take is going to be your last. I mean, yeah, that's just like being in the NFL, right? Now, I don't understand what it is with these guys, these celebrities that when they want to make a comparison of how hard something is, the first thing they go to is like combat in the military. Listen, bro, if you wanted to be a badass and claim to be, you know, a soldier or make a comparison to what it's being in the NFL and like it's like a deployment, you had 20 years in the war on terror to put, you know, to step away, put away your money and come sign up and go fight. There's one guy that did, Pat Tillman did back in the early uh, start of the war and, uh, 2000 what in 2001 2002 he left playing with the phoenix cardinals and joined the army and became a ranger and died in service to his country so i don't understand what it is like bro tom tom you have seven super bowl rings you don't need to compare yourself to us man it just goes to show that even rich athletes and celebrities need a hero and someone to compare themselves to to make themselves feel better even they got to have somebody to look up to you know, they, he sees how tough deployments are. He just wishes deep down that he could do it. And he could if he probably wanted to, but he don't want to, man. That man's making mega millions of dollars. He ain't going to step away from that money to go live a meager life of a soldier. So, yeah, everybody's going to give the man crap as they should. And like I say, personally, I'm not mad because, one, I, like I say, I just really don't care. Tom Brady's nobody to me. I've not really watched football in a long time, so... Hearing Tom Brady say something stupid is no surprise. Or, I mean, he ain't the first celebrity to do it either. I don't know if y'all remember, but back in the day, I think it was like 2013, Kanye West said something similar. His quote was, I'm just giving my body on stage. I'm putting my life at risk. This is like being a police officer or at war or something. You know, and I remember the world erupted around that comment. You know, I was like, it's Kanye West, man. <laughs> like, what do you all expect? Like, I, there's nothing this man can do or say at this point to shock me. And yes, that was 2013 when he said that. And let's be honest, the man's only kind of slipped further and further away from reality. The, the more years we keep going, and it's just Kanye West. And see, what y'all got to realize about Kanye West, I think I've said it before on the show before. The man is a master manipulator. He's a salesman. He's an artist. He, this, he knows how to stir the pot to get people talking about him. And my God, so I'm not going to go down the Kanye West rabbit hole too much today, but the man's got a lot of stuff going on. Like he's recently, I think he's, I think he's currently being canceled from everybody because of uh, some comments he made about the Jews. And now he's on the whole black Hebrew Israelites, black people are the real original Jews, the real nation of Islam or who knows, man. Like I, I just can't keep up with it. I remember a few weeks ago, there was a picture posted. I feel like it was an old picture. Like I might've seen it before in the past show, but him and Candace Owens had on these shirts that said white lives matter. And you know, when I saw it, I was like, really bro? Like y'all know how I feel about Kanye. And I told you on the show before, I'm not a Candace Owen fanboy. 
Whereas like, I'll just fall over everything she says and does. Candace Owens, she says a lot of great things. I like a lot of the stuff she does, but I don't agree with everything she does and says just because I'm a rational person and reasonable. And I understand that she is a public figure and she has to do and say things to drum up attention and drum up publicity for whatever it is she's trying to market. So, of course, with her having this recent movie documentary come out about Black Lives Matter, she needs some publicity. So what better than taking a picture with Kanye West in a shirt that says White Lives Matter? So for me, I just can't get behind any movement, period. I don't care who it is with a specific message tailored towards a certain group of people. And, you know, all it is, it's trying to get a reaction out of you. You know, they're trying to virtue signal and they're trying to divide you and get your attention pretty much, man. Now, if they would have had an all lives matter shirt, I would have behind been behind that 100 percent. Like, Hey, man, I, I dig that. I like all lives matter because I just don't believe that one group matters over the other. I mean, we all matter. We all got friends, you know, somebody in this life that loves and cares about us. You know, so I don't the whole black lives matter. I think it's garbage. Guess what? White lives matter. It's garbage. Asian lives matter. It's garbage. I don't support any of those movements because I feel like we all matter. It shouldn't be based on skin color, man. Like I said, the only reason people do this stuff because they know it drives people crazy and it creates division and it gets your attention. It gets you talking about them. Then you're going to start Googling them. And then guess what? Oh, look, Kanye West has an album coming out. Oh, look, no, Candace Owens has a video coming out. So I just don't believe that they believe in these messages. They're just, man, they're selling y'all stuff, man. That's all it is. So I just, I can never get behind it. And then what makes this even more crazier is that, so Kanye West, like I'm not going to go far down the Kanye West rabbit hole because my Lord, we could go. But he was on a podcast called Drink Champs. It's a couple of guys from the rap group, N-O-R-E. So while he's on the podcast, so he starts talking about the uh, George Floyd incident. And one of the things he says about the George Floyd incident is that George Floyd didn't die from, uh, you know, it wasn't a homicide. He overdosed on fentanyl, which I believe is absolutely 100 percent correct. You know, the, the video looked horrible, but you no, know, what got Kanye was Candace Owens just dropped this video or this documentary on the Daily Wire. And it talks about, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter, how it started. I have not personally watched it yet, but I do plan on watching it when I have the time. But one of the things they were talking about in the video was how George Floyd overdosed on heroin and how it was the angle of the camera of the incident that made it look like his knee was on his neck. Now, regardless, you know, that was a bad situation and that could have completely been avoided. Regardless of where his knee was, you know, the man did take a bunch of fentanyl and then died. And so Kanye West says this on the freaking uh, drink, uh, the drink champs podcast. And this just creates a storm of crap. And here you the next thing, you know, George Floyd's family, greedy and money hungry, decides that they are going to sue Kanye West for two hundred and fifty million dollars. So George Floyd family says that his comments traumatized them. And then they got a lawyer and the lawsuit will be filed by Roxy Washington, the mother of Gianna Floyd, George Floyd's only daughter and sole beneficiary of his estate. Washington plans to sue Yee. You know, they don't call him Kanye. They call him Jesus. 
you know, uh, his business partners and associates for harassment, misappropriation, defamation and infliction of emotional distress and seeking two hundred and fifty million dollars in damages. You know, what makes this more bizarre is the fact that in 2020, when all this had happened, Kanye West made a two million dollar donation in support of the families of George Floyd, Ahmed Arbery and the famous Breonna Taylor. The donations included funding for legal fees for Aubrey and Taylor's families. And he set up a 529 education plan for George Floyd's daughter, who was six at the time. So what you're telling me is that they like his money, but they don't like his opinion is what it is. This is the most greedy thing I have ever seen. The only reason they're suing Kanye because of his opinion is because he's got money. Man, you know how many people across the country believe that George Floyd died of fentanyl? So if that's the case, they needed to try to sue every person in the country. Listen, we live in the United States of America. This is not communist China or Stalin's Russia. We are allowed to have opinions on cases that we disagree with or agree with the outcome on. And just because he goes on a podcast and says something different, the case is already settled. You don't get to go back and sue this man because you claim he caused emotional trauma because he I mean. Look at the facts. Yes, the man was high on heroin. He was on enough heroin to kill like 10 people. But yet somehow we got to look over that. And they believe that they're entitled to $250 million of this man's money because of his personal opinion and beliefs. But never mind the fact that he already gave y'all some money already. Now, that is the most. God, that is God, that is low. That is petty. That is disgusting, man. That is one thing that drives me crazy about America. Is these frivolous lawsuits, yo? Just like with Alex Jones right now being sued by the families of Sandy Hook, like, like I think they, I think they're coming. They want a trillion dollars or something like that, or a billion dollars. I'm like, for what? Okay, I don't like the comments he made about Sandy Hook either. I think they were far fetched, and you know they were all crisis actors, yo. No, these people were emotionally distressed by what he said, and they had people calling them and coming to their houses, and yeah. So I, them getting something, yeah. But come on now, $25 million or billion dollars, whatever they want, something, some crazy number. No, you are not entitled to this man's, all this man's money and all that he has built because he said some crazy stuff. Yeah, give these people something, but you don't get to take away the man's entire empire. That's like, that's insane, man. And then, of course, we have lawyers that push this stuff because they get, they get a percentage of this, man. So they want that money. So, you know, I look at all this stuff as them simply trying to profit off of a, Dead family members, bad decision and death. The thing for me is that conservatives have fallen in love with Kanye West over his love for Trump and some of the things he has said against Black Lives Matter. But see, this whole thing just goes to show that Kanye, he's an artist, man. He's an opportunist and a master manipulator. And I'm not fooled. This man goes from donating money to George Floyd's daughter, you know, saying, all you know, going along with Black Lives Matter. Now, all of a sudden, he's against Black Lives Matter. If you ask me, the man has just proven the point that he is not loyal to any color but green. The only thing he cares about is the mighty dollar. And Kanye's the type of dude who is willing to drink the Kool-Aid and do anything that benefits him and gets money in his pocket. And if there is one thing I don't like, it's people who simply drink the Kool-Aid and go along with everything because... You know, even if it goes against what they believe personally, but it's because it helps them get to that next level or that next position that they want 
To me, that's low, man. I just I can't be the person, man. I'm not a Kool-Aid drinking type of guy. I just can't do it. And right now, man, there's just so many. I feel like so many people in leadership in this country that are simply drinking the woke Kool-Aid because uh, what what's their motivation? I don't know. And I've seen so much of it here on my own police department and other people's police departments that I, I see people that I know were good cops. And I'm looking at them now like you really just stirring this whole pot of Kool-Aid up, putting in extra sugar just so you can help swallow it to get to your next position, man. And it it breaks my heart. It really does. Because I know the, a lot of these people don't believe in this stuff that's going on. I've worked with some of these people, and I remember the type of officers they were on the street. But now they promoted up, and they're up and you know up top, and they've completely changed. And now they're just drinking the Kool Aid and pouring it into a cup and sliding it over to me. Have some of the Kool Aid, Dex, and all I can say is no, thank you. See, man, what we need right now in policing—the one thing we need—is good, strong pol- leader, police leaders that are divorced from the politics and their own self-interest and survival. Listen, it is tough times for policing. And the last thing we need is more division within the blue. And we have so much more of that. And we, like I said, we have people drinking the Kool-Aid. For example, here in Louisville, we've had recently some new positions that have started in our department. You know, we have a equity and diversity manager. What that really is, you know what? I don't know. It's like a made up position, but it's pretty much, you know, they go out and try to record with minorities, man. And it's just like, okay, you know, and to me, I don't like it. I don't like anything that's set up and structured as a way to cater to any one group. And I understand why they're doing it, because they want and need more minorities on the department. That's fine that, hey, if you're going to do it, just go do it. I don't feel like we need to create a position to look out for such or said minorities and those people. I just, I, I don't like, I don't like the catering to people's skin color. I, I, I despise it. And then what makes it even worse is like these positions. There was an email sent out to people in my department that were minorities, encouraging them to take the police test or the sergeant's test. And that's cool. But to me, it was a bit of an insult when I read the, the email and it states, Hey, we're going to help you all put together study groups so you can all become sergeants to be the change that you want to see. And I agree with the statement of being the change that you want to see, but saying that, Hey, we're going to help you all put together study groups. And I'm just like, do you think we're not smart enough to go put together study groups on our own? And to me, it's the low expectations or belief that we can't do it on our own. That's why I don't like these groups. Like I said, we have the FOP here, but we have the minority affairs committee on the FOP and I'm not involved in that period because I don't want to be attached to something that's catering to me because of the way I look because of my skin color. I am educated. You know, I know how to work hard. I was raised good. I'm from a hardworking family. You know, like I don't need someone coming catering to me, telling me that, Hey, I can help you get what you need. No, I can get what I need. Everything I have right now I have cause I worked for it. Because I built my life and lived my life a certain way. I don't need a hand up. All I need is an opportunity. And some people say, well, these organizations exist to give you the opportunity. No, no, these organizations exist, I believe, to give people to be a, you know, a help up. You know, it's a crutch because it alleviates the person from actually doing the work themselves. And instead it says here, let me do it for you. 
And that that I don't uh, don't agree with, man. And I feel like we're going to continue to suffer on police departments because we are so over focused on being diverse. Like that's the main thing. Everybody, we just want to be diverse. We want to reflect the community. I understand that. And we will reflect the community, but you're not going to get the type of candidates and quality candidates you want simply by looking at the color of a person. Now, we got to simply go off a of character and we can't give special priority to people because they're black, Hispanic, you know, Latino, Asian. We just can't, man. It doesn't work that way. If they come through you know, the process and they just so happen to be black, but they check all the boxes where they're a good person, good character, good quality education. Hey, bring them on board. But don't simply bring them on board because they're the right color. Like, I feel like we already been through this. Didn't we already go through this in the 1960s civil rights era? Didn't Martin Luther King Jr. say that he wanted his children to be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin? So why are we still operating like we're still in the civil rights era, man? And then to make it worse, the person that sent out the email, she's a good person. I, she's not a bad person at all. I want to go ahead and preface that. But just to see that email, you know, and of course, I wouldn't send the email, even though I'm on the, I'm, I'm a minority, but I'm not eligible to take the sergeant's test. So I wasn't included. Yo, but man, at the bottom of the email was her pronouns. And I, that's when I about lost it. I was like, why are we doing this? Why are we going down this path? We are a police department, not a political department. We solely exist to ensure people have their rights and to make sure that people are safe. Why are we constantly playing this political game and drinking the Kool-Aid, man? It just it breaks my heart to see so many good people I know that were good cops and did good work. And they're all aboard with drinking the Kool-Aid, man. And I just I don't want to be at the table where this pitcher of Kool-Aid is being passed around. Because everybody's going to look at me when it gets to me and be like, go ahead, take a sip. I'm going to say, no, I don't like the flavor of this Kool-Aid, man. I'm not doing it. You know, and I said, it's a hard time in policing right now. And us doing these things such as this is only creating more division. And I feel like doing this stuff, is it makes people more opposed to people that don't look like them. Because they're going to look at people that get into these positions and be like, you only got that position because you were black. And you know what? It's not a lie. And it shouldn't be that way, man. Simply based off of merit, dude. I mean, we keep dumbing down the requirements to be more fair and equitable, as they're saying. You know, like the sergeant's test now, they don't look at grammar and punctuation no more. And they also have it to where, guess what? You don't have to know contract now, the FOP contract. That used to be a requirement to be a sergeant now. They've gotten rid of both of those things. And that is going to come back to bite this department in the ass hard. Because you are lowering standards to get more people into positions that have a little bit more melanin in their skin or from a different culture. I understand diversity is needed. Diversity is great. But you have to let it happen naturally. You can't force diversity because when you force it, it's going to it's going to blow back at you hard. And I feel like, you know what? In a couple of years, we're going to see what's going to happen with all this forcing of diversity and it's not going to be good, man. Yeah, I feel like it's going to drive a lot of good people out of this place more. Because diversity is good, but at the same time, diversity is not what is going to carry the police departments of tomorrow forward. You know, like I said, it's hard times right now in the profession, but and diversity is not going to help when you have bullets flying at you while you're serving a warrant. 
Diversity is not going to help you write that search warrant. You know, the language of the courts and the language of justice and the law does not care about color. No, the only reason people care about color is because of politics, man. None of that stuff matters when you're on a call and you're driving code three across town and you get somewhere and there's someone fighting for their life. You know, when I hear a call for an officer that's in trouble and they need assistance, I don't think to myself, what color is that officer? I'm going to get there faster because he looks like, no, it's just an officer. It's a brother or sister in blue that needs my assistance. So that's what I do this for. You know, it's it just it really breaks my heart, throws my mind for a loop that we're still in this way of thinking and doing this, man. When we have so many officers right now being killed in the line of duty ambushes, man. I mean, this last month has been horrible for law enforcement dude it's been uh, it's just been heartbreaking it's just like day after day after day it's almost like another cop has been killed in the ambush you know we had the uh officer on las in las vegas uh pd man he was killed on uh, october 13th shot and killed on a traffic stop it was officer trong tai and before that we had two officers in bristol connecticut man police officer alex ham hamsey and then a Sergeant Dustin DeMonte. They were both shot and killed in an ambush on a regular, quote unquote, routine call, which there's no such thing as a routine call. These guys were walking up to the house and this guy was lying in wait for him. Opened up with an AR, shot and killed both of them instantly. And he shot a third officer. The third officer was kind of able to get away and he was able to score a direct hit with one shot on this dude and put the dude down. I heard that the shot hit him straight in the throat and almost decapitated the guy. And it pretty much put this guy out of commission, man. But these two officers, man, they, they lost their young officers, man, lost their young lives. And my first thought when I heard it was, man, I hate to hear that about these young officers. You know what my first thought was not? What color were they? I, that, nobody cares about that, man. When the bullets are flying, nobody cares about that. We should be focused on. What's going to happen when the bullets start flying? What can we do? That should be our training. But instead, we're still looking at diversity, diversity, diversity. Like I said, diversity doesn't matter when your life is at stake. So I don't understand why this is still so heavily focused on this stuff. It drives me crazy, man. But there was one shooting that happened with the cop that really, really bothered me because I was literally an hour away from the shooting that happened, man. So uh, me and my family went down to Mississippi to the Delta to go visit my grandma and grandpa, man. I've not seen my grandparents in oh, probably over 15 years. I've not been to Mississippi in a very long time, man. And while I was down there on October the 11th, it was the day after we got there. I remember getting an alert on my phone that a police officer in Greenville, Mississippi, it's like an hour, an hour, 20 minutes away from where we were, was shot and killed, man. Her name was investigator, investigator Maisha Stewart. And like I said, a young, a young black female officer. Only reason I know that because I saw the picture and I'm looking at the picture right now on the, uh, the officer's memorial page, man. But it don't care what color she is. She's an officer and she lost her life, man. So they were in a car chase and I guess during the car chase, this guy started firing bullets and struck her and killed her, took her life away from her, man. And, I was an hour away, a freaking hour away, whether this officer lost her life. 
you know, it's, it's just been such a rough go for this profession, man. And sometimes like I can tell you, I don't talk a lot about officers death on this podcast because I don't want that to be the focus because it's so traumatic. And I could go down this road every day if I needed to and wanted to and just tell you about every officer that died. But that's not how I want the show to operate. You know, when certain incidents happen and they get to me like the string of deaths we have here, I will talk about it and acknowledge it. And this, I don't know, there's just something about the shooting that happened in Mississippi with this young officer that really got to me, man. It just maybe because I was so close and, you know, I'm a brother in blue to her and just, man, just an hour and a half away from me, an officer lost their life. And I guess, you know, we're coming up on one year since we lost our my partner, my buddy, Zach Cottingen. You know, so I guess I'm kind of in my feelings about it, man. And it, and I know what that department's going through. I know what the partners are going through. Those families, it, it sucks. It hurts. But it just seems to keep happening. And before that, man, we had the incident in uh, Polk County, the sheriff's office in Florida. It was on October 4th, man. They were going to serve a warrant. And two officers went into the room with the subject. The subject tried to get a gun. I guess, you know, they started fighting with the dude and they fired shots at the guy. Missed him. The bullets went through the wall and struck a young deputy sheriff named Blaine Lane. Freaking tragic, man. Young, good looking officer, man. New family. Hadn't even been on two years, I think, man, like less than three years. And he lost his life in the line of duty, man. All because some scumbag decided to fight the police, man. And, you know, there's just only you can train, 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 train all day. But Murphy always gets a vote. No matter what, man. And it's a shame how that young officer lost his life, dude. But it's just tragic, man. But uh, just so much death in this profession. That's why I was like, we need good, competent leaders that know what it takes to be an officer, that knows what it takes to operate in the streets. I don't want a leader that's going to be a certain color. I don't care. Just lead me. Let me follow. Show me something I don't know. Inspire me. I'm not inspired by, you know, transgenderism and diversity. That doesn't inspire me to serve, man. But for some odd reason, like I said, we just keep going down this rabbit hole where that's the only focus. And, you know, and I feel like that doesn't bring any honor or dignity to those who lost their lives in the line of duty this last month. You know, that they weren't thinking about their last words as they were getting ready to leave this life and cross over to the afterlife. Their last thought was, man, I hope this place becomes more diverse in my absence. That's nobody's last thought, man. Nobody cares about this stuff. But we keep making it our priority for some odd reason. All right, so y'all don't mind. I want to go ahead and uh, have a moment of silence, if we could, for those officers I just mentioned, for their departments and their families right now that are going to have to learn how to go on in their absence. Man, yeah, that, I know that got kind of heavy, y'all, but I mean, that's that's the reality of this profession, man. And I'm always I'm still amazed that I'm still here doing this after 12 years where you got people that haven't done it more than three years. And somehow some odd reason they you know, they don't make it as long as I have. Or you have guys that are 20 plus years in and getting ready to retire. Then, you know, they catch a bullet and they don't even get to go enjoy life after working, you know, 20 plus years in this profession. So. You know, my heart always goes out to those, man. So, you know, as I was telling you, I was recently in Mississippi. Man, it's been, like I said, it's been a long time since I've been down to the Delta. 
my family is from the South and I'm, I tell everybody all the time, I am from a family of cotton picking Negroes. That's legit. And I'm not just saying it to say it, but yes, you know, it's, that's what my family did growing up, man. My mom and dad both worked out in the cotton fields and my grandfather, this is a man amongst men. And it's so weird when I saw my grandfather, you know, cause I remember in my book, I talk about in the opening of my book, I am Pitt's memoirs of an American Patriot. Some of my earliest members are memories are driving down to Mississippi in the summer with my parent family and spending this, like a couple, like a couple days or a week down there with them. Just the cotton fields, man. That was always my thing. Like love going and playing in the cotton fields yo, with all my cousins and, and just driving down to Mississippi with my own children and just looking at them in the back seat, knowing that that was me just a couple decades ago in the back seat, driving down there to go seek family. You're seeing the never ending scores and rows of cotton fields, man. Yeah, it was just a very bizarre thing. And seeing my grandparents after all this time, man, it's if you all are familiar with my story and the tragedy of my mother and my father, and the incident that happened that led my mom to take her own life. You know, I, there's a lot of stuff in my life. I, I got a lot of trauma, y'all. <laughs> I got a lot of trauma, but sometimes you got to, you know, take steps slowly here and there and start putting more of the trauma behind you. And one of the things I haven't been able to put behind me was the fact that I felt like my family abandoned me at a certain point after my mom's death. And understandably so, you know, because it's it was a very complicated and confusing incident situation with my mom and dad but you know I, I hadn't talked to my grandparents in years because I was kind of mad and upset because I felt like where were you all I needed y'all and man I went through this life after my mom's death almost alone I just felt so alone man and just I had family but nobody called me nobody talked to me and I remember one time my grandparents did reach out to me but I was so mad and bitter at that time you know, and I just remember hearing their voice hey I just hung up the phone you know like now you all want to reach out to me? And of course that was when I was younger and I was a bit more bitter and they at least reached out to me, but I was just not in a place where I was ready to hear their voice or accept them. And so a couple months ago, you know, I started talking to my grandparents again, but it was like when I bring up my mom, the situation, you know, the conversation would change because it's still a sore subject for them. You know, their son, my father was involved in this hor horrific incident that led to the uh, end of my mother's life. You know? So, you know, I, I stopped talking to them. So instead of talking, I sat down one day and I wrote them a four page letter telling them how I felt and that I want to talk to them. I want to come down in person and talk to them. And I decided that I was going to come down by myself while I was on vacation, you know, and just because I didn't want my family there in case things went bad or, you know, things blew up, you know, but, you know, after talking to my grandparents, after they uh, read the letter and they called me, I decided, you know what? I'm going to bring my kids down to Mississippi to meet the other side of the family because I feel like it is important that my children know their history and they know where our family comes from. And man, I decided to drive down to the Mississippi Delta, Bolivar County. My family is from the Bolivar County in the area of Shelby and freaking Mount Bayou. If you don't know what Mount Bayou is, Mount Bayou is one of the first only established towns by slaves that was historically all black one of the first in the country it's honestly it's it's still like that today super small little town man where my family's from in shelby small little town like 
There's not even a there's a, a one single <laughs> blinking red light. That is it in the whole town, you know. And there ain't nothing down there, but down there, but poverty and cotton fields, man. But I just remember all just driving into town and all the memories just started to come back to me. You know, I was just like, man, going down to the double quick store and getting a pickled pig's feet from off the top of the counter. And man, it was just so many good memories started coming back to me. And then when I saw my grandpa, I was expecting the grandfather I saw to be the grandfather I always knew. My grandfather was a big man. Like I said, he worked in the cotton fields for over 60 years. I mean, this man picked cotton almost every day for, you know, his entire life. And he worked his way up on for the people he used to work for, the Dentons. He worked for the Denton Plantation for 50 years. And man, when I saw him, I saw him with his cane and kind of hunched over. He's 85 years old. And I actually saw him as an old man. And I've never seen my grandfather as an old man before. I've never seen him as old. And now he's like actually an old man, you know, just walking around hunched over with his cane. I was like, man, I've been gone that long because that's not the grandfather I knew. And it was kind of hard to see, you know. Then I got to see my grandmother. And, man, they embraced me and they embraced my children. You know, my children got to meet their great-great-grand, their, their great-grandparents. And, man, it just the pride that this man has in his work and my grandmother, the pride she has in him. I just remember sitting on the couch talking and my grandmother was just bragging about how hard my grandfather worked. She told me he used to pick 500 pounds of cotton a day. I want y'all to think about that. 500 pounds of cotton. If you hold cotton in your hand, it literally weighs nothing. So think about how much cotton you have to hold and pick to make a pound. Now multiply that times 500. That is work, ladies and gentlemen. That is serious work. My God, man. It's, you know, just being there with my family and seeing my uncles. Man, they took my kids shooting and fishing and showing my kids the other side of life and teaching my kids about where our family is from. Because it is so important that my kids know where we're from. I want my kids to know that we are from a family of literally cotton picking Negroes. And it's so hard to know that if had my father not joined the military, that would probably be my existence as well. But not just that, it's just, we're also from a family of service. My dad's brothers, all of them, most all of them except two served in the military, you know, and that, that tradition has been passed on down to me where I served in the military. And man, it was just honestly a, such a, great awakening and and it was so needed man my heart still needed some healing from my mom's situation and there's still work and healing to be done in my heart there's still relationships in my family that need to be mended that you know there's still this strife there there's family members I have that I still have not talked to in over 12 years and you know it's a uh, almost I lost for words a little emotional but yeah I mean I love these family members, but you know what? They're toxic, and so I stay away from them. But I don't wish them any ill will, man. And I feel like the moment I went and talked to my grandparents and released them from that little bit of bitterness I was still carrying with me, good things started happening to me, man. I got a phone call the day I left about an opportunity that I can't talk about right now because I'm still waiting for things to play out. But once this thing comes to fruition, I will tell you all about it. But, you know, I just really, truly believe that 
when we do the right thing and God that God requires of us, he will do right by us. And I honestly feel like because I was able to release my grandparents and introduce them to my family and put aside my personal feelings and do the right thing and choosing to love them instead of holding this grudge. I feel like God gave me a blessing and man, I'm very excited about it. So we'll see what happens with this blessing. And uh, like I said, I'll keep you all in the loop, man. It's so good to be back on the microphone. I like, I, I know I've been gone a little while, brother needed a little break. So now we like, I'm back here, back in the studio, back at it. And so I I got some good interviews coming up for you all uh, while I was on vacation the other and uh, the last of my vacation the other week. I met a guy that freaking awesome guy. I've been following him for a while. He, he's a retired Marine gunny sergeant. Uh, his name's Christian Bustler. He wrote the book, No Tougher Duty, No Greater Honor, a memoir of a mortuary affairs Marine man. I mean, he was on Jocko. This guy, he's been all over, man. I mean, he's his book is phenomenal. So when I was in Cincinnati, Ohio, I was able to reach out to him and meet him. And he and I did a signed book exchanges, which is something I like doing with other authors is uh, I like to give them my book signed and they give me their book signed. And it's that's kind of my thing now, you know, since I'm in the published author club. But, yeah, so hopefully I'll be able to get him on the podcast here. He has an amazing story that you all need to hear. So hopefully that'll be my next interview. But other than that, ladies and gentlemen, that's about all I have for today. Like I say, if you want to read more about all my trauma, <laughs> go to www.iampits.com and you can get a copy of my book, I Am Pitts, Memoirs of an American Patriot. And you will learn why I am the way I am. Probably answer a lot of your questions or you'll read about the cotton fields that my family's from in Mississippi. And if you want, you just reach out to me. I can give you, uh, not give you, uh, I can sell you a signed copy. It's just uh, send me an email to iampits at yahoo.com and I'll tell you how to order a signed copy from me. And also, be sure to follow me on Instagram at iampits1 on Instagram. And also, I have my Facebook page, I am Pitts Memoirs of an American Patriot on Facebook. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have read my book, all I ask is that if you could please. Leave me a review on Amazon or go to my Facebook page. I am Pitts Memoirs of an American Patriot and leave me a review. So I've got about 60 reviews in and they're all pretty phenomenal. And there's nothing that makes me more excited than opening up my app and seeing somebody else has read my book and left a review, either good or bad. Don't mind. And it's the same with the podcast. If you could, you know, go to Apple and leave a review. Give me how many ever many stars you think I deserve on Spotify. That's the only way my podcast continues to grow. And also, before I leave out, I want to let you all know the rate for veterans committing suicide in America is no longer 22 a day. The official numbers, I believe now are 40 a day. So the veteran crisis in America is continuing. The crisis of suicide that we are losing more and more of our men and women at home. They're losing the fight at home. And in order to help combat that, I sit on the board of the Roy Williams Foundation. We exist to help veterans and first responders who are struggling with PTSD. And what we need at the Roy Williams Foundation is your help. If you could go to the RoyWilliamsFoundation.org website and click on the donate button. Man, we need all the help we can get to try. We need funds to help help save the lives of our fellow veterans and our first responders, man. The people that give so much to us, 
it doesn't take much to give a little bit to try to help. So anything that you all have extra money wise, donation wise, man, would be greatly appreciated because we really want this organization to continue to grow and take off and be a resource to all those who have given us so much. So if you could, please donate to the Roy Williams Foundation. But other than that, ladies and gentlemen, I thank you all for tuning in with me today as I struggle to get back in front of the microphone and sharpen my skills. I'm still working on the whole video thing and trying to learn and I got a little bit of time right now. So we'll see what happens coming down the pipe with the video and me just constantly trying to learn and expand my social media skills, which are garbage. <laughs> but other than that, thank you all for tuning in. Like I said, every download means the world to me. Every rating, good or bad, means something to me. Thank you all for being loyal to the show. I appreciate you all more than you could ever know. And I will see you all on the next one.